So today's saint, St. Francis de Sales, uh, is a saint particularly close to my heart. I, I think he's uh, wonderful to, to read about, uh, and his work, especially the introduction to the devout life, uh, is a, it's a fascinating read. I actually find him easy to read. It's like, it's like he's actually interesting. I don't want to sound like disparaging towards other saints, but like the way he writes, it's actually, it's actually interesting. You know, he's, he's a very, very, very good author, very interesting, uh, the way he describes things. Uh, so when he was born in 1567, he was born into a noble family in, in Switzerland, uh, in Geneva. And he was smart. It was quite evident from his youth that he was smart. So his dad wanted him to become a lawyer. So he sent him to Paris, otherwise known as Paris, and sent him there. And he went off and he studied there. And he got a doctorate in law at 24. So he was quite young, very, very smart, just breezed through his studies, no problem. Now, maybe it's just a kind of a, a, a personal thing that I have. But when I hear about saints who are really smart, it just doesn't really impress me very much. Because intelligence on its own, I don't care. It doesn't impress me. Um, virtue is what impresses me. So when I, when I, I read like saints' biographies and they talk about how smart a, a Saint Albert the Great was or Thomas Aquinas or whatever, I go, great, yeah, that, that's fine. But also, that's not so, I suppose also for me, that's not something I can imitate. I can't suddenly decide, to, okay, I'm going to be smart. <laughs> so I'll imitate that. I can't imitate that. I'm stuck with what I have. Uh, so, but virtue, on the other hand, virtue you can choose to imitate. So again, when you read that early part of his life, okay, smart, born to a rich family, and goes off and gets his education and then uh, eventually decides that he feels the call of the Lord. Apparently, he was out horse riding. Uh, he, his dad wants him to get involved in all of the kind of the noble um, pastimes of, of, of the epoch. So he would go horse riding and he learned also fencing. Uh, not the farmer fencing, but noble fencing. Sword, yeah, basic sword fighting kind of thing. So he was horse riding anyway in the country, and apparently three times in one day he fell off his horse, and his sword came out of his scabbard and formed a cross on the ground. Apparently three times. Uh, so he saw, saw this as a sign: the Lord is calling me. Uh, revealed this to his dad. Dad wasn't too happy, but he went off anyway uh, into the seminary and became a priest. Good. So far, if I'm honest, nothing very impressive. Um, fair play to him. But uh, what really impressed me when I, I, I read his biography, was around, around about that time, so the Reformation was in full swing. Calvinism was very, very strong uh, in Switzerland. And rather than just, I don't know, complain about it or write about it or preach about it, uh, he took it upon himself to walk from house to house in deeply Calvinist areas and try and win people back one at a time. Now, Switzerland is absolutely stunningly beautiful uh, with all of our modern technology, right? So basically, it's lovely to look at in the summer, absolutely amazing. In the winter, we have air conditioning and we have heating and we have all those sorts of things that make even the winter comfortable. Now, back in the day, right, in the 16th century, in the winter, winter was hard. Uh, frostbite was common. <laughs> so he would walk from house to house. His feet got so frozen and frozen frostbitten uh, that often he would bleed while walking, he'd bleed from his feet walking from house to house trying to win back soul by soul now that impresses me I don't care what his family surname is or how wealthy he was as a child it doesn't impress me one little bit 
But the fact that with all, that, all those brains, all that intelligence and all that fire and zeal, he's willing to walk from one house to the next into this town of about 60,000 people. And apparently by the end of his life, he had managed to bring back into the Catholic Church 40,000 of them. One at a time. With bleeding frozen feet. Now that's maybe something I should imitate. So... He, he was a man of great zeal, a man of great uh, passion, a man of great intelligence, a man of great prayer. Uh, he has very, very many beautiful quotations. Um, he says, have patience with all things, but chiefly have patience with yourself. Do not lose courage in considering your own imperfections, but instantly set about remedying them every day begin the task anew, right? So it's like New Year's resolutions, great idea. Um, in the book, The uh, Divine Imitation, what's it called? It's in the front row. Uh, it says every, every missed opportunity, every moment wasted, every minute wasted is lost forever. Every minute wasted is lost forever. You can't go back in time and redo what you were supposed to do yesterday. Yesterday's gone. So St. Francis Sales is, is saying, uh, every day begin the task anew. So your task, whatever it is, to grow in punctuality, patience, service, humility, prayer, purity, uh, selflessness, whatever, whatever you know is on your heart, whatever the Lord is laying on your heart to change or to, 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 to grow in, set about the task anew every day. Have patience with all things, but chiefly have patience with yourself. Uh, this is something that Mother Teresa said as well. He said, every Christian needs a half an hour of prayer each day, except when you're busy. When you're busy, then you need an hour. Every Christian needs a half an hour of prayer each day, except when you're busy. When you're busy, you need an hour of prayer. That's St. Francis Hill's kind of humor as well. It's just, but it's just, he's very smart. I like him. Uh, but I like that kind of, kind of practicality as well, you know. When you're busy, it's actually no excuse not to pray. The busier you are, the more prayer you need. This is another one that I find this absolutely fascinating. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, he says, nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing is so strong as gentleness and nothing so gentle as real strength. There is nothing so gentle as real strength. So there's nothing as strong as gentleness. I was just thinking, like, just the image I had, and pardon me for this, like, but I was just thinking of a, a little Danny or a little Teresa going over to Eddie, just, you know, putting their, you know, from here, like, just putting their little, their little hand on Eddie's arm, saying, Eddie, can you knock down that building? And Eddie would go, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, like, your little voice, your little frame, your little size, you know, weigh as much as a bag of crisps, and you say to, to Eddie, can you knock down a house? And he'd go, yeah. Just get my sledge. <laughs> you know, and he would. <laughs> Just because of the, the, the gentle parts, if you go over kind of arrogantly and say, bet you couldn't knock, well, I don't know if that would work. Maybe, maybe it would work. But if, you know, if you kind of threaten him or corner him, he'd say, oh, whatever, I'll finally get back to it whenever. Like. But it's like the, the power of gentleness. When someone asks you gently, I have the same experience in my own community, like with some of our sisters, you know, who are just very virtuous. When they ask you something, you know, they'd come over and they'd tilt their head slightly and say, can you cut the 17 acres of grass out there in the 36 degree heat in the middle of Rome? Sure, yeah, no problem. <laughs> you know, not because they've threatened you, not because they've offered you anything at all, 
But just because they ask so gently, there's a power in that virtue. There's a power in that virtue. So there's nothing as strong as gentleness and nothing as gentle as real strength. Like, when, like strong people, but really strong. I mean, uh, not, just, not just physically. It can be physically as well. But people who are, who are, who, who are strong uh, aren't strong if they have to push people around the place. If they have to prove it to everyone, then they're actually not strong. If I have to prove that I'm capable or able by humiliating people around me, then that actually shows I'm not strong. It shows I'm insecure. It shows I have to actually prove myself in order for you to think I'm strong. Whereas a person who's actually strong, because they're confident in themselves, they're gentle. Nothing as gentle as real strength. It's, just, it's a beautiful way of also thinking today of, of masculinity and femininity and, and how uh, the, the divisions of each are confused, where masculinity is seen as a kind of a physical strength and therefore it's dominant and therefore it's violent and therefore it's dangerous, and femininity shouldn't be gentle because that's weak. So then no one is assuming any kind of a role and it all ends up with this kind of generic confusion. People don't know who they are. There's nothing so strong as gentleness and nothing as gentle as real strength. When, um, as his sanctity started to grow, so he would write many letters to people. It was the way of communicating at the time. Uh, so he would write many, many letters in the evening, uh, especially as regards the, the spiritual life. So when he became a bishop, he wrote, he believed that the, the first duty of a bishop was spiritual direction. The first beauty, duty of a bishop, he said, was spiritual direction. And he wrote to uh, a good friend of his. They had this very interesting friendship himself, and in English we call her Jane de Chantal. So, sorry, the pronunciation is not very French, but that is what we call her in English, Jane de Chantal. And uh, she was a, a wonderfully virtuous woman, but very much on the road to sanctity, on the path of sanctity. So... She asked him to be her spiritual director. He prayed about it for a while, then said yes, but her example was so good for him that, dare I say, well, I've just read a commentary on it this morning, that, that she, she was on this road to like a mysticism, you know, a really kind of mystic relationship with the Lord, uh, that in, in guiding her, he ended up kind of, kind of following her, but basically going along the same path. The, the relationship was mutually beneficial. He began to very much deepen his, his own love for the Lord because of, of, of this lady who apparently he was supposed to be directing but ended up in a way leading him. But just such a holy, wholesome friendship. It's just something that we've been meditating a bit this, this last year as well. Just the, the power of, of, of beautiful, holy friendship. That authentic friendship leads, should lead both closer to God. You know, it's not a threat or it's not a danger. There's a, there's a, a profound beauty in, in walking with another person towards God, though, towards God. Holy friendship. And so he wrote to her. He said, So many come to me that I might serve them, leaving me, to, leaving me no time to think of myself. However, I assure you that I do feel deep down within me, God be praised. Like God be praised. You know, that like God be praised in everything. For the truth is that kind of work is infinitely profitable to me. He felt, he experienced that in directing others, 
he would discover God himself. You know, in, like I, I find it myself also in, in, in preaching, like I have to reflect then on the gospel and I have to try and delve a little more deeply into what, what the word of God is saying to us today. That it helps me, helps me to teach, helps me to preach. He wrote the book, The uh, Introduction to the Devout Life, which was somewhat revolutionary for its time. So back in the 16th century, and probably for centuries before that, it was generally considered that sanctity was impossible, or at least great levels, great degrees of sanctity, were impossible for lay people. And they were only possible for religious and generally speaking, even within religious life, only possible for those who would live as hermits. So basically, if you wanted to be a saint, you had to live as a hermit. You know, we have this Irish tradition of it as well, uh, St. Anthony of Egypt, and so on. There were St. Benedict. Separate, go out of the city, leave any populated area, go to somewhere remote, and that there you could live sanctity. The idea was if you... If you Strip yourself of all worldly things and God can fill you entirely and then you become a saint. Now, it has its merits, but it's not quite that simple. And St. Francis de Sales wrote very clearly in the introduction to the devout life that all are called to sanctity. All are called to sanctity. The Second Vatican Council is very clear on this as well. The universal call to sanctity. All are called to sanctity. All are called to be saints. Therefore, all can be saints. So he spoke often about sanctifying your day. Sanctify what you do. Sanctify the peeling of the potatoes, the washing of the, the plates, the hoovering of the floors. Sanctify your clearing of drains and cutting grass. Do it all for love of God. And that way, you don't have to strip yourself of, of all things and live as a hermit in order to, to become a saint, because that, that's not fair. That means no wife of three children can become a saint when all they do every day is serve these three little people, you know, with nappies and food and and picking them up from school and helping them with their homework and all that kind of thing. And that, that, that doesn't lead them to sanctity. That's definitely a misunderstanding. There can be nothing as sanctifying as losing hours of sleep for years while your kids are young. But do it out of love. This is his idea. Do it out of love for God. Do it all out of love for God. He also spoke kind of positively about humor, the need for humor. So when people read the introduction to The Devout Life, some thought this is modernist drivel, right? That everybody can be a saint and that jokes can be considered a good thing. And he also spoke positively about dancing. Now, again, there was for and against because there's dancing and there's dancing. I'm kind of pro-dancing as well, as long as it's classy. Um, the curie of ours was very against dancing, but there must have been some sort of, I don't know, salsa going on there that, that, that he wasn't, that he wasn't uh, approving of. But in general, like this, the, the idea of, of wholesome friendship, you know, wholesome socialising, he was in favour of. People thought this was scandalous at the time. So people, some thought that the introduction to the devout life was a scandalous book altogether. One last thing. Uh, he believed that the worst sin was to judge somebody and gossip about them. Again, I found that very interesting when I read that. That the worst sin is to judge someone and gossip about them. Even if we say we're doing it out of love, you know. So uh, it was saying, Don Bosco said, if the person I'm talking to is not part of the solution or not part of the problem, then it's gossip. So if, if, if Natalie is after doing something terrible and in order to fix it, I tell all of ye, well, are ye part of the solution? Probably not. Are ye part of the problem? Well, evidently not. 
Now, if I have to talk to you know, a superior, someone who's responsible for her, then they can be part of the solution. Okay, that's not gossip. But if I'm telling everybody else, that's not part of the solution and not part of the problem. So what's, what's behind that? Well, often what's behind that is actually a desire to be interesting, which is vanity. You'll never guess what I saw Natalie do. What did she do? And everyone's hanging on your words, you know what I mean? And you say, well, no, 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 actually, no, no, I won't say anymore. No, go on, go on, you have to listen. No, 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 it's fine, it's grand. No, honestly, you wouldn't be interested. No, look, go on, tell us, just tell us a little one. Say, what, what was it about, more or less? Like, tell us something like, well, okay, look, I saw her, okay? And away you go, and everyone's hanging on your words. It's, it's vanity. I want to be interesting. I want people to like me. I want people to say, oh, he's so fascinating. Vanity. But at the expense of someone else's reputation. He saw that the worst sin was speaking badly about people. Speaking badly about people. Because you destroy their reputation. And once that's done, you have no control. You can't undo that. It's like uh, uh, Philip Neary said to a lady once who was, who was gossiping. Uh, he, he con- she confessed this sin and he said, okay, can you come to me with a with a down pillow, a pillow with duck feathers in it. <coughs> and she thought, that is the weirdest, absolutely weirdest uh, penance I've ever gotten in confession. And he said, okay, run from here to St. Peter's and just scatter the feathers out of the pillow. And she said, I will look like a mad woman, but if you say so, because apparently you're a saint, off we go. So she walks from, well, I think it was Piazza Navona, uh, to St. Peter's and scatters the feathers. Comes back to him and says, I've scattered the feathers, now what? He said, uh, now go pick them all up. And she said, I, I can't. I mean, the wind has the feathers scattered everywhere. So they, could be, they could be halfway to Trento, by, uh, what do we call it in English? Trent, uh, by now. And she, he said, well, so it is with your gossip. Once you've spread it, you've no control over where it goes. The worst thing was to judge someone and to gossip about them, apparently. St. Francis teaches us an awful lot about using our God-given talents for the greater glory of God. So yes, he was intelligent. Yes, he was well able to, to explain complicated things in very simple, with very simple metaphors or in very simple ways. But he didn't just use his intelligence for vain glory or for himself, but he walked from house to house taking care of each individual soul to win them back to the truth of our faith. He bled for people. He loved people. He would stay up late at night writing letters to direct souls back to God. He cared. And hence he's a saint and a doctor of the church. His last word was humility. So despite all of his natural ability. He was never prone to pride. He could have been, but he didn't give in to that. His last word was humility. He knew who God was and he knew who he was in the face of God. So we ask the Lord today to teach us according to the example of St. Francis de Sales, to use our abilities, whatever they are, for the greater glory of God, to recognize that there is a universal call to sanctity directed at each one of us. Each one of us is called to sanctity. 
to deepen our spiritual life and to be missionary, to love God above all things, to recognize the, the strength of gentleness. We ask the Lord today to guide our hearts to use every minute for him. Amen.